Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in Boise Weekly's annual Best of Boise contest. And while it's an honor to be nominated, I have to admit it would be even more fun to win. If we've helped you connect to the city you love, go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by May 23rd. Thanks, Boise. Today on CityCast Boise, the city's new zoning code has only been in place for a week, but Boise State Public Radio's George Prentice is here to tell me why we might be feeling its impacts sooner than expected. Plus, we talk about Mayor McLean's visit to Dubai, our favorite movies, and why we can't recommend the new thriller Saltburn to everyone. It's Friday, December 8th. I'm Blake Hunter, and this is what Boise's talking about. Good morning, George. Thanks for coming on to CityCast Boise. Thanks for the invite. Hi, Blake. I want to dive into an interview that you did this week uh, with Boise Mayor Lauren McLean. Uh, so you talked to her about this COP28 summit, which can you give a little, uh, just a brief explainer on what this is? Because it, it sounds a little bit confusing, It's but it's this global summit that's been going on for years. Can you tell us about it? You bet. It is uh, the official United Nations Climate Action Summit. And they meet now annually. And by the way, its very name is confusing, right? Why is it COP? Why isn't it COP twenty three? Yeah. So it's all about you know five year goals, etc. But it was this summit that not too long ago came up with the benchmark of one point five degrees Celsius. And if we can dial down the planet's warming. Uh, to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius on a regular basis, we may have uh, a we may there may be a possibility of us actually living. <laughs> um, right. So it right. is, but it's everyone it's is is invited to the table, uh, and as fossil fuel addicted as we are as a planet, and in particular uh, as superpowers are, uh, you have a choice. You can either be in the room or not in the room. And uh, after talking with Mayor McLean, who was actually in Dubai at this year's summit, and I'll talk about that in a second, I came back to my desk and I kept thinking back to Hamilton. I kept thinking back to the musical Hamilton and the song In the Room, right? And about how you have to lose pieces of the chess game, right? Um, to to get through. Um, but you can be in the well. There's another saying: you can either be at the table or or on the table. So my mm. question to Mayor McLean was, "What the heck are you doing in Dubai?" And I understand uh, the Mayor Mayor McLean. Uh, it's in her DNA to talk about sustainability and um, environmental action, etc. But flying to Dubai is an issue. So number one, right. how did you get there, and and who's picking up the tab? Well, it turns out that Bloomberg Philanthropies, huge NGO, right. mm -hmm. is funding a number of U.S. mayors and some governors uh, to go to Dubai. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can listen to King Charles all day long and President Biden and, and, uh, and anyone else. 
But I mean, you know, where, where the rubber meets the road is at a municipal level, right? I mean, the mayors are going to probably affect more change or could affect more change than anybody else in the room. So she said, yeah. And obviously she was on the radar of Bloomberg. Uh, and they said, would you like to be included? And it was a really quick, fast yes. So she was invited along with the public works director, Steve Burgos. So I had her on my program this week, live from Dubai, 11-hour difference. But I think we had a fair conversation about, first of all, who's picking up the tab. And I had to ask the obvious question is, like, you know, do you not see the awful irony in, in, in holding this in Dubai, right? This this city that is, that this golden city built out of nothing that is basically built on fossil fuels. And she she owned that as well. And she said, absolutely. As a matter of fact, she was coughing a couple times during the interview. And she said, I, you know, I, I deal with the smog every day when I get on a train and go to this conference. Again, you can either be at, in the room or not in the room. So the United Nations, it turns out, chooses a different corner of the world every year to hold the conference. And Dubai obviously picked up the tab this year. And it's a little bit, if you think of it, it's a little bit like us, as in the city of Boise, having to deal with Idaho power, right? We can we can wag our finger at them all day long for the years that, uh, that they operated coal-fired plants, right? Uh, or the right. fact that these dams are still, you know, generating all this hydropower, or we can be at the table with them. So it was a pretty right. interesting conversation. Yeah, I'm glad that you, I mean, obviously, like you said, the, the kind of obvious question there is about why hold it in Dubai? Right. Um, you know, this like huge, I mean, it's a desert. It, it's, you know, completely grown off of fossil fuels. Um, right. And also, I mean, Yes, I, I appreciate the analogy of being in the room or at the table, but also there are other ways to do it. You know, like I flying people from a, around the world. Maybe we can do this conference uh, virtually. Yeah, it's not as fun, but do we want to fly 20 people from around the country, around the state, around the world to come somewhere? And um, because, you know, air travel is one of the biggest drivers of, of climate, you know, global warming um, and all sorts of other climate change issues. And so, yeah, I'm also glad that you brought up too, the, the 1.5 degree Celsius change that we're talking about too. We're trying to avoid the most catastrophic That's right. impacts. Yeah, we're trying to limit the possibility of our species going extinct and to whatever extent we can also limiting how many, how many other species go extinct, you know. So, yeah, I, this is obviously a very complicated issue, which it, it, it kind of always is when you have, you know, business and profit involved in a situation talking about the survival of our species. We've got blinders on as a culture, certainly as a Western culture, about flying places and yeah. convincing ourselves about the importance of flying places and quote unquote being in the room. Now, I want to talk about being in the room just a little bit more, but I, you're absolutely right. This is... You know, I think we're just maybe five, maybe 10 years from now of people saying, what the hell were you doing flying everywhere yeah. as often as you were? Mm -hmm. I think this is only heading in one direction. It's insane that not only all these people flew there, but can you imagine how many private jets flew there? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's oh, yeah. crazy. But while I was talking with her and it was late at night there, early morning here, she said, 
I got to tell you, just a few minutes ago, I just got an invite uh, for some FaceTime with the Bezos people. And I said, the Bezos, as in Jeff Bezos? And she said, yeah. She said, the largest environmental NGO on the planet is the Bezos, I don't know, environmental blah, blah, blah. It's a $10 billion commitment or whatever. It turns out that they were, here's the phrase again, in the room when Mayor McLean was talking in a smaller group of mayors about connection to our rivers and foothills, et cetera, in an urban setting. And it turns out that that's in line with some of their theme, the Bezos people theme. And they said, okay, it was great meeting you here, but we'd like some FaceTime with you. So I thought that was pretty interesting, interesting. because these are people with a, you know fairly deep pockets, and we could talk about Jeff Bezos, good and bad, all day long, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you never know, right? I mean, because there's a number of things that seem to be out of our reach, right? That seem you know, right. Th- that, you know uh, uh, getting Amtrak back. I mean, that's a no-brainer, you would think, but it just right. always seems to be a little bit out of our reach. Really getting some kind of downtown circulator right? The, uh, you know, through downtown up to the depot mm-hmm. and even to Boise State on a regular basis. Getting the people out of their vehicles, for God's sakes. We talk such a good game. Uh, but what does that take? God knows it won't take the Idaho legislature. Uh, so it may right. take some private funding. Uh, so I was I yeah. was kind of intrigued by that. I'm sure that she was thrilled to have them ask about, you know, foothills and that kind of thing, because that's where her bread and butter, you know, that's how she started getting involved in city government many moons ago. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what were the actual things that she was talking about? You're going into this conference with all of all of the politics wrapped up around it, the business politics, but what were some of the climate things that she actually was talking about that stood out to you? Well, I mean, she was talking about this net zero goal for the city of Boise. And there's the city of Boise, capital C, capital B, which is to say city hall, right? And then there's the city of Boise, which is all of us, right? And how do you right. get from here to there? And and that's, I, I'm always interested because that's a really ambitious goal. So a big part of her presentation, and she gets very practical, by the way, you're, you're spot on with this. This is where she can go off, off her notes and really talk uh, because it's in her DNA. This is where she really understands, you know, some of the the issues. So, it's electrification of our buildings, electrification of our fleet, but then it's talking about the Boise River and all of the work that we've uh, we're doing with that, uh, the recycling of water and the ambitious yeah. goal that we have with that, and then everything from pesticides to you know, leaf blowing and then just making EVs just a little bit more practical. But, you know, every time I, I ask, are we going to meet that goal? She said, well, if it wasn't a stretch goal, what's the point? In other words, if I if I said yes, what's the point of having that goal, right? We'd have to move it again. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So, uh, and kudos to her for saying that. I guess what I'm saying is there's a number of things that I think that the mayor's is can be conflicted about on any other day, uh, starting with public safety and uh, being uh, just a little tone deaf in some of the communications that come out of the office. But when it comes to this, um, and she can throw away the cards, if you will, uh, right. she can usually uh, connect. And I think, quite frankly, I think that led a lot of people probably to to choose her in her most recent re-election. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like a huge thumbs up. Like she said, she told you, you know, I'm here because this is like what Boiseans are talking about. This is yeah. this is some of the most important issues that that Boise is facing. So let's get into the zoning code, which to me uh, is very interrelated, obviously. It's been in place for uh, a week as of today. Obviously, things aren't going to settle out for a while. You know, the Zinu zoning code is going to apply to a lot of new construction, new projects. And so we're not going to really see the the details, the fine print, how it will actually actually run out. But this is an exciting turning point. You've, you've talked about how, how exciting this is, how emotional this, you know, multi-year mm-hmm. process has been. What are you watching for in the first few months of, of this new zoning code's implementation? On day one, there were 17 applications that came in. We average about like, like significant projects, and they average about nine a month, right? Wow. So I thought that was pretty interesting at, at planning yeah. and, and development. Um, they are still cleaning up the language in the code, that you know, which is very wonky. They cleaned up some of that language over the last few days. I listened in on a meeting of the Historical Preservation Committee. And uh, just as a refresher, this is a separate committee that uh, has to give the green light to any alterations, changes, or or elimination of historical structures in historical districts in the city. It's really interesting. And quite often those meetings are so specific. And, you know, in other words, it's a change of, of windows. It's a change of right. a garage, yeah. you know, things like that. One item that came before them last late last week was a home, a single-level uh, home that was built in 1950s, almost like ranch style. It's a, it's a duplex in the North End, not far from Hill Road. And the owners, now they're not even developers, they're, they, a couple bought this and, and mm. rented it out for years, came to the historical preservation to, to basically wipe out the home, you know, you know just demolish the home, uh, but it's actually two parcels of land, and to build denser apartment units, two separate denser apartment units with ADUs on top of them, and set them back mm. away, further away from the sidewalk. In other words, it's like hold it. I, f- I felt like I was in a a, a a design review meeting or a planning and zoning yeah. meeting, right? And but their argument was, I mean, is this structure really that historical, et cetera? So the mm. people who live next door and across the street, they testified against, et cetera. But this couple, and they basically said, well, we've owned it for like 20, 30 years. And we were kind of, and, and then when the zoning code came through, we understand that, you know, that's not who we're talking to right now, but that really inspired us to do this because we have a couple of sons who are now of age who are choosing of where they're going to live or not live and whether they can afford to live anywhere. And so we're actually going to have them, you know, be you know, live in each of these, but they're also going to be landlords. And uh, so I thought that was really interesting in that yeah. it was very personal. And all of a sudden, the commission said, well, we realize that the zone, new zoning code isn't really official yet, and you know, projects will probably come, whatever. But to the person, they kept quoting the new zoning code about their reasoning for approving this, by the way. I don't want to bury the headline. They approved this. I mean, this is a okay. pretty big deal. So we're talking about yeah. you know, a destruction of a home that a lot of us have passed uh, probably a thousand times in the North End, just a you know, rental property, to build you know, you know, two rather modest, but again, more rental property, dense more. rental property yeah. in the in yeah. the North End too, and and so 
Uh, and and uh, and they also asked for, and this gets really wonky. They asked for, uh, can we please put metal roofs on these uh, properties? Now, to you and I, are saying, okay, big deal. Yeah. Well, it turns out that that doesn't come. That's not really kosher in the eyes of the historical preservation. But it turns out metal roofs are much more sustainable, and that was their yeah. argument. That and the and the and the committee said, yeah, sure, why not? I, it was interesting. It was. I guess uh, like it was just a, a vibe of gosh, yeah. these are new conversations, right? This couldn't have happened any time in the last sixty years, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, so you know, so for all of the talk of people saying, "Hey, we're really not going to see the effect of this for a good eighteen months to twenty four months," I think it's already part of the conversation. And what I'm interested in is, you know, what is this igniting in some people's brains? Uh, and the fact mm-hmm. that there were like 17 applications where people deliberately waited until day one of this new zoning code to put in. And my guess is probably every one of them has something to do with density. Not to use this term, but it's it's going to trickle down to uh, yeah. also, you know, mom and pop kind of places. And hmm, that's really OK. That kind of makes me rethink it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And by the way, one other thing in that same meeting uh, so the Catholic Diocese came before them in a uh, presentation to build a pretty good size, I think four or five story building, where Baird's dry cleaning used to be. It's not far from the co-op. Yeah, and they wanted to build a pretty good sized diocese building with a lot of offices, et cetera, because it's also it would be kitty corner of the large Catholic church in uh, Boise's North End, and and the committee said. Gosh, these offices, they seem awfully spacious. Do you really need to be five stories? It's like, and then someone said, mm-hmm. I don't know if this really, you know, is is in the spirit of the new zoning code. And they actually deferred that, you know, and the Catholic Diocese holds a fair amount of sway. And they said, No, I think yeah. we, we need you to go back to the drawing board. So I it's like, wow, it's already yeah. impacting uh decisions. The switch is already flipped. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. very intrigued by that. So, you know, you, I, I'm very wonky and I love listening to these meetings, et cetera. But my sense <laughs> is like, oh, wow, wow. It's 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 there and people have been waiting to have these conversations. Yeah. It feels like we need to rethink so many things that it is a yeah. breath, breath of fresh air that it's like, maybe this is actually happening. Maybe this is actually working. But I mean, I so I talked to one of the new city council members, Jordan Morales, a while ago. I asked him about the zoning code rewrite and how he felt about digging into that. And one of the things that he said was, "We're it's going to be an adjustment period. Like you said, they've already made some recent changes. But he was like, we've got a bunch of new city council members that it takes a while to get used to sitting behind that desk. And also, I mean, we have a huge new document uh, that was decades needed. So it's going to take a while. There's going to be some some kinks in it. So what are you what are some of the pain points that you're expecting over the next few months? I think the pain point is going to be meeting or not meeting people's expectations. And right. one of the things I think, one of the real kitchen table issues that I think emerged from the public hearings, et cetera, was the public needing, not just wanting, but needing more communication about pending projects in their neighborhood. And and what defines a neighborhood? Because as you know, there are rules that say you have to communicate with people within, I don't know, X number of feet or something. Like it, it, It's kind mm-hmm. of a ridiculous thing. And so the zoning code actually, number one, expands that. 
I'm not sure what the number is, but number one, it expands that. But number two, I think it also requires at least one other level of neighborhood input on design, et cetera, before it gets any kind of approval from design review. So I think that, I honestly think there's there's no such thing as bad communication. The more, the better. But my sense is it'll probably still have, you know, a limit, whatever, you know, X number of feet that is. So I think that some people might be disappointed that it is not as grand as they hope it will be. Um, and then I think there's going to be just a lot of people who just get, get uncomfortable with change because a big part of this new zoning code rewrite is fast tracking. It actually is fast tracking a lot of other projects. In other words, if your development, if your proposed development meets the criteria of what that zoning code is already in print, what are we doing wasting all this time doing steps one through four when we can skip all the way to step five? So, yeah. Question number one, what part of public input are you losing along the way? That's a very prescient point with a lot of the frustration with the zoning code uh, rewrite over the last couple of years has been Mayor McLean's main, main contender. One of his big, big points was that neighborhoods hadn't been able to provide as much input in, in specific areas that they wanted to. So I don't know if you can ever provide enough input. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're not going to satisfy everybody. Yeah. And I think it remains to be seen how some of the political frustration and the opposition to the zoning code rewrite, you know, a few weeks ago, they reject Boise Upzone. They really put it down. They said, oh, yeah. we're done with this. We're going to move on to other issues. One, obviously, Boise voters made their uh, voice clear in what they wanted, which was the zoning code rewrite. But also, um, I guess I guess we'll see. I, I don't really have a good guess yet as to how some of that political frustration is going to manifest moving forward, whether it's within the zoning code rewrite or in a month they're going to pivot to something else entirely to be talking about. But by that time, we'll probably be talking about the legislative session anyway. So we'll, yeah. be, we'll have moved on to something else too. So we know that there are 18 exceptions to the code as written. I would hope that they will just keep adding to that. That's my hope. Mm. Because yeah. you should only get smarter. And it's it's a huge document. There's always going to be edits to it. Yeah. Well, let's move into our favorite topic of the week and especially <laughs> our favorite talk of, topic of December. Always. What are you watching? What, what movies are you seeing? Uh, and what are you excited to see come out? Well, let me talk a little bit about what I'm seeing and where I'm kind of conflicted on recommendations because I, okay. I, I think more than, I, I think a number of people will ask me for recommendations and I actually do give recommendations for a living sometimes. Two of the most provocative movies of the year uh, and most talked about movies of the month have to be Saltburn and uh, May-December. And Saltburn currently in the cinemas, May-December streaming on Netflix. The performances in each of them, and they are very singular projects, by the way, are some of the best performances of the year. Can I recommend Saltburn to everyone on the planet? No, of course not. That is the question. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, so yeah. it's, it's uh, I would hope that a discriminating consumer has some sense of the story and of the creative team uh, behind the film. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. I was sitting in the uh, little cafe at the Flicks a couple of weeks ago when Saltburn opened and uh, just having a, a latte. And a number of people were coming through. And I'm always asking, hey, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? And a couple came through and they said, oh, we're seeing Saltburn. And, uh, and the guy said, oh, I heard it's like Brideshead Revisited. And 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 I had seen well, Saltburn, yeah. And I and yeah. I'm thinking, oh crap, because I think someone oh, wrote that. Uh, I think someone like that, the New York Times or something wrote, it's a cross between Brideshead Re- Revisited and uh, Talented Mr. Ripley. And I'm thinking, yeah, boy, you haven't even scratched the surface on this. The yeah. Talented Mr. Ripley, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, mm, but 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 just but you know, a taste of that, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, you know, because. Yeah. And then if you start describing the provocative scenes in this film, and there are mm-hmm. more than a few, um, you either get the ick, uh, you know, response or, you know, you get the arched eyebrows. And it's like, and I don't think that that serves any purpose either. Um, mm. But uh, it's so, I think for a discriminating moviegoer uh, who has broad taste and is looking for something provocative, et cetera. Uh, yeah. And I, I have to think that it is one of the best movies of the year, too. I really do. You know, so the director, the writer, uh, Emerald Fennell, she's she's talked about that. She said, you know, this, I'm not, uh, one of her favorite quotes uh, that I watched in, because this is one of those movies that, like, afterward, you're like, you either have to do a deep dive and, like, be like, what was she thinking? Like, what was going on? Or you just never want to think about it again. Um, <laughs> Good I luck wanted with to that. think about it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, she was just like, I'm not trying to be a good person. I'm trying to make a movie about desire. I'm trying to make a movie about. She she described it as sticky, which I think is uh, very appropriate. It's malevolent and um, just awful in a way that is uh, hard to describe. And it's I I personally it's it's kind of refreshing that it's like I can't recommend it to everyone because I had a similar experience where my boyfriend and a friend and I went and watched it at the flicks and then um we got out and we were like we were all just going to split ways afterwards and we were like hey we got to we got to talk about this guys we got to go sit down and so and isn't that the best part of a really good movie exactly right that's the point yeah. of it i agree i agree yeah yeah so we're standing in line we were just going to split ways but we there were new movies coming in so there's a bit of a line at the flicks and we were just trying to decide what to eat while also just kind of being a little bit shell shocked uh which i love that feeling and um, there were, there's this couple in front of us who, yeah, turned around and was like, what did you guys just see? And we were just like, Saltbird? And they were like, we were thinking about seeing it. Can you recommend it? And I was just like, no. But also, like, if you want to go sink your teeth into something yeah. that uh, will really grip you, go see it. I think it's a good one. Um, right. You recommend, I haven't seen May, December yet. I really want to. I think it's flawed, but, but I think Natalie Portman, this is one of her best performances. Okay, love her. So yeah, that's exciting. And 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 her character makes a lot of awful choices. <laughs> you recommended a while ago, um, next goal wins from Taika Waititi. Yep. Uh, I just went and saw that this week. What a joy! Uh, it's definitely yeah. It's it's a sports comedy, right? But it's also Taika Waititi doing it. It's you have a lot of gender and you know colonization uh, conversations going on within it. Yeah. So for someone within my container of thinking how much I think about queer and trans yeah. uh, issues and just people and gender just generally, I mean, I'm just always thinking about it. 
and especially living in Boise. But I think that this is a really good movie for if you just want to see some like good trans and specifically it's uh, within the Samoan tradition, uh, Fafafine right. representation. Um, yeah, it's it's really, I don't want to call it heartwarming because that makes it sound a little mm-hmm. bit condescending, but I don't know. It's really lovely. And I think I think a lot of people will we need to see it. And I think it's a side door movie. I think it sneaks in yeah. a couple of uh, mm-hmm. lovely messages. And I think that he is brilliant in trying to draw in an audience that normally would not go see a movie with those themes. And yeah. for some reason, critics I have not plugged into this film. And I love this film because I think yeah. it's, number one, it's thoroughly entertaining. And what's what yeah. the hell is wrong with that? Uh, so, yeah. uh, and it's good for a laugh. I think it's a killer soundtrack. I love the setting. And it just, it's like, take me somewhere I've never been before. And that's what it did. I'm excited to see Maestro. Can I talk about that for a second? Please do. Because yeah. I, I have, I mean, so TikTok is, is a fire with with concerns about they gave Bradley Cooper a prosthetic nose that actually is larger than, so it's just like, there's like, is this anti-Semitic? Like what's going on here? But the actual film itself does look like it's going to be really good. It is really good. And I have seen it. Okay. Uh, So as a matter of fact, I'm going to be hosting a a big, we do an NPR movie night. Uh, I'm going to be hosting that next week. And it's sold out by the way, like in 24 hours. Um, and a big Love part, it. a par- big part of it will be we've got an exclusive clip of Maestro, which will open the the next day. So Netflix uh, sent me an advanced copy. It is brilliant, and I don't think I think that there's a lot of people out for Bradley Cooper for all kinds of reasons. He is the writer, producer, star. You know, he's he is he's Warren Beatty, right? He's Woody Allen. Yeah. He's Orson Welles. And uh, and by the way, it's a really, really great film. And he also affords an opportunity for Carrie Mulligan to give one of the best performances, yes. not, not just this year, but any year. So I grew up uh, with Leonard Bernstein uh, as, a, as a pop culture personality, et cetera. I adore his music, but you know, he was a very controversial figure, intense genius, and there's it's a capital G with the genius. So again, I think it's going to uh, share a story that a lot of people don't know, and it and at the centerpiece is this 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 amazing uh, uh, marriage. Uh, so Carrie Mulligan is the real star. And by the way, this thing with the nose, Leonard Bernstein's children, his family have said that's exactly they've signed on to this movie in such a big way. They said no, that's okay. exactly how Dad looked. Like leave him alone. Okay. That's exact, and, and and it's a very affected voice, right? Uh, so people mm-hmm. are going to say, "Ooh, what is this voice that that Bradley Cooper has?" It it it's him to a T. His estate, his family, his heirs, his you know, his, his everyone is said, "Yeah, it's yeah. like that's him." Like what what what's up with this? I got to admit, I was expecting to hate it, but I really liked it, and it kind of surprised yeah. me, much like a Star is Born surprised me. Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, real secret, Sarah Silverman as as a supporting role in the film. She's fantastic as as Bernstein's sister. I didn't know she was in that. Yeah. Definitely excited for that one. What are your thoughts on Wonka? I have not seen it. The advanced word is that it's really good. It's, I know. It's an origin story. Yeah, I was putting my foot down. I was like, I'm not going to watch this. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it has Olivia Coleman in it, so maybe it will. And then, oh. yeah, everything. I mean, Hugh Grant looks a little... I, I don't know what CGI they've done to him, but 
it's a bit of a joy. And I feel like that is kind of the energy for, for the rest of December is let's just get a little weird. Let's just have a little bit of fun. So I guess I'm, I'm going to be dragged to that. But thank you for joining us, George. It's always such a pleasure. Uh, and yeah, I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. And thanks for the invite. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show is produced by Evelyn Avitia and Grant Irving. I'm Blake Hunter, and I write our Hey Boise newsletter. Our music is by Epa's The Down Is The. If you enjoyed our show today, share it with another movie lover. We'll be back on Tuesday with more stories from around the city. 